What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another great episode of Diary of a Mad Black Man. Yo, let me just go ahead and let y'all know now, this episode right here about to be lit, lit, lit. I got unapologetically Pandora, a.k.a. Keela. She is legit that girl. She is connecting fuck shit to that real shit. She BPC fam, part of the Black Podcast Club. Hey. Yo, Kayla, I'm so happy we finally sitting down to do this. Finally, thank you, thank you. What an intro! You're welcome. You're welcome. I was gonna get you right. I was gonna get you right. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited as well. So, of course, you know, especially for the BPC fan that's watching, um, we know each other very well. But for the listening audience, for people listening, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do. I am Keila Pandora Rain. That's spelled R E I G N. <laughs> and I am the CEO, CEO and host of Unapologetically Pandora Podcast. I'm on all platforms 21, 15 21 platforms. Yeah. <laughs> all the major ones. You can also find me on YouTube, Facebook. I got a Facebook page. IG, I'm Unapologetic Pandora. And it's spelled legit, like L E G I T. So, because again, I'm legit that girl. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm a social worker, mental health professional, activist, mother, lover, friend. Goddess, <laughs> Afro Indigenous, I'm all of that. I'm just all dumb. of that. All of that. You are really <laughs> let me let me get, let me bring it down. I get a little humble. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you good. You good. You know, this is, uh, you know, Diary of a Mad Black Man. You know, we my people over here listening know um show up as you are, be as you are, and it is what it is. It's just like a diary. So we ain't erasing that, we ain't scratching that, we ain't taking nothing out. It is what it is. It is what it is. But I do want to kind of go down a journey. Um, and this is going to be an experience for me as well. Um, okay. because even though I know you, we've been in the club rocking together for a little minute now. But I know your story behind why you podcast, why you're a social worker, why you're a mental health therapist is very powerful and beautiful. And um, I do want to take a moment out to say thank you for coming on and being willing to share it with me and my audience. And um, yeah, let's just dive right in. So let's start off with um, tell me about like where you were born and describe your childhood growing up. Ooh, I'm from Los Angeles, California, South Central, Crenshaw District, Lamert Park. I'm a hood chick, avenues chick, uh, <laughs> palm trees, gunshot, ghetto birds. It is what it is. <laughs> That's where I'm from. I'm from the hood. Bougetto chick. <laughs> um, I would say that I think my mic is. I don't know what happened. I would I say that, uh, my childhood was like every normal black kids, I guess, um, in the hood. But I come from a middle class blue collar family. Um and my mom she's what she was she's a retired aircraft mechanic uh my grandparents 
were very instrumental in my life. I was pretty much raised by my grandparents because my mom was always working. She was a single mother mm-hmm. and always working. So, I mean, uh, we had our fair share of dysfunction like everybody else, I would say, you know. Um, but for the most part, childhood was pleasant. But, you know, it wasn't until I got a little older that things became a little like, oh, God, this is life, you know. But mm-hmm. I, I could say I didn't want for much. Uh, we were very close, close-knit family. Just... You know, typical, <laughs> typical mm-hmm. black do you, do you have any, um Do you have any brothers or sisters? I have three half brothers and they are a lot older than me. So my dad had three boys prior to me. The youngest of them is 10 years older than me. The next one up, the one I'm the closest to, he's 12 years older than me. And then my oldest brother's 14 years older than me. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with them. So with just me and my mom, she just had me. So I pretty much grew up like an only child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my brother, you know, since the age gap was so much bigger, you know, I didn't really have that much of a relationship with them, except for the middle one, the one that's 12 years older, Daryl. He loved him and my mom are real close. So he loved my mom. It was like a second mother to him. So he was always over there. Gotcha. So that's the one I'm the closest to. But I love all my brothers. That's what's up. That's what's up. Mm -hmm. So growing up in um, South Central L.A., right? Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like? Cause I, I know you're big into like social justice and being an advocate and using that powerful voice that you have to advocate. When did that really begin for you? Oh, I think I always had an empathetic um passion to help people to serve. And I don't think I ever shared this story with you, but I would say this is kind of like if I were to go back, because I actually put this in my uh, Delta letter. You know, we when you become a Delta, I'm a Delta, Delta Sigma Theta. Ooh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> had to get that little plug real quick. But when I wrote in my Delta letter, this was one of one of the stories that I told. Um, I remember being in IHOP. I was seven years old. And there was a homeless man sitting, uh, well, he might not have been homeless, I don't know, but I could tell he was kind of like a transient, mm-hmm. um, that he wasn't privileged. His clothes was kind of tattered, a little, you know, mm-hmm. uh, dirty, and um, but he was eating. And I, and I know that particular IHOP by our house, they used to kind of, they would let, you know, certain uh, transients come in and get a hot meal, you know, um, especially if mm-hmm. they were regulars from around the neighborhood. And I remember seeing him eating and he was scarfing the food down like you could tell he was hungry. And I started crying. I was seven years old and I started crying and I was like, he's so hungry. Like, where is he going to go after this? How he's going to eat? Like, I was really concerned and that bothered me a lot. So I always kind of had that empathetic Mm. thing. But it was when I was in high school. Um. And the verdict came down in the Rodney King trial. Mm. And at the time, my house, because I lived in the avenues in the Crenshaw District. And for your listeners, those who don't know where the Crenshaw District is, it's where all the In the Hood movies are filmed. Baby Boy, Boys in the Hood, Minister Society. Um, it's just, I grew up in the same neighborhood as Nipsey Hussle. And I used to work in that complex where he got killed. That was my mm. first job. My first job was in that. So Crenshaw Slauson is that that hamburger stand that was there. It was named something else then, but that was my first job in high school. 
So oh, wow. that's the Crenshaw area. I grew mm -hmm. up in that neighborhood. Um, so when I went to, during that time, our house was getting uh, remodeled. So we were living up in the hills, Baldwin Hills, which is an upper, uh, upper middle class to upper class black, predominantly black neighborhood. Mm -hmm. That's where all the celebrities lived and, you know, lawyers and doctors and all of that. And the balcony, you could see the whole city. So after the verdict came down, news came on, riots were starting in the street. Florence and Normandy, that's where it started, April 29th. They even got a song, April 29th, Florence and Normandy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I remember watching them pull Reginald Denny out of the truck, like all of this in real time, pulling him out of the truck. And I remember being like, oh, my God. And they just start beating him. And I don't know why they pulled him out. Because we couldn't hear it. You know what I mean? Um, I just know that they pulled him out and start beating him. And what the optics of it just looked like, they just was mad, saw a white man and pulled his ass out that, you know, truck, that big rig. And start beating him. And then stuff, people start looting Police were told to stand down, just kind of like what we're seeing today across the nation, mm. where the police are inactive and not doing anything. Mm -hmm. um, in most cases, some of them are being um, antagonists, but that we know why that is. But things start, they start burning stuff down. It was just crazy. So we're seeing all of this on the news. Well, I decided to go out on the balcony as it got dark. In the whole city was on fire. Like just mm. looking over that balcony, the whole city was on fire. Like it was like a panoramic view of the city and you could see downtown. So all the way from downtown, all the way to like possibly Compton Watts, it spanned across like that. And um, it looked like Armageddon. Mm. It looked like, like, like what in the hell was going on down there? And I just remember feeling like hopeless and just, it was just crazy. So then we got back to school, had to go to school and it was just so much tension and we were being bussed into our school. I went to a predominantly white school. It's pretty diverse, but it was, mm -hmm. all the minorities were getting bussed into the school in the Palisades, which is uh, like a suburb outside of Santa Monica by the beach. And it was a lot of tension. And so myself and a few of um, other students, we all got together and we staged a walkout. And we all met in the quad second period. And we just basically voiced our concerns and was just like explaining how we feel because we have to go back to, you know, the neighborhood where there was curfew, where it was riot torn. And so for me to get back up to the hills catching the bus, I still had to go through all these riot torn uh, neighborhoods that are, have been looted, stuff was still on fire, stuff burned for days, you know? Mm. So to have to go through all of that and see the neighborhood like it is, is just like, wow. And then they put the curfew on us. And so we couldn't go out. And finally, after maybe like two or three days, once the National Guards came in, we decided to go down the hill, my family, to go check on the house that was being remodeled and in the Crenshaw area. And just all of my favorite places, the hamburger stand, the nail shop, like the liquor stores, like all the, all of the neighborhood 
things that used to see him was just gone. It was just mm. destitution. Like everything was just charred and burning. You could still smell the smoke. It, it was just crazy. But that walkout was my introduction to activism. And from there, I got involved into the uh, with Minister Tony Muhammad. Um, he was a local activist in the neighborhood that at that time he was working with mothers whose sons were murdered by gun violence. So I started working with that his organization and did a lot of little community service with that project. And that's how I got started in high school. Wow. I just <laughs> listen for those of y'all listening. This is why I admire you so much because when I and I just recently kind of heard that story, but even now I'm just sitting here, just like I'm not gonna interrupt. I don't care if she's going for the next hour. It's great, it's beautiful because <laughs> I think that a lot of times in and, and I'll just be speak to this year. Um we don't realize how deep and serious this movement is. You know, I don't think we understand. I'm, I'm not going to say we. I'm not going to say me, me choose my words carefully. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't make that connection to the history behind what it is we're protesting about, what it is we're fighting for. And for me, a moment that I've had recently was at the March on Washington. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember exactly who the speaker was, but when they said um, they were talking about John Lewis and they were saying Emmett Till was the George Floyd of John Lewis's generation. Mm -hmm. That was a moment for me to understand the connection to what it is we're still dealing with in 2020. Mm -hmm. And then they went on to say, you know, think about all the other Emmett Tills of that era mm -hmm. that didn't make national news. You know, think about all the hashtags and things nowadays that don't necessarily get the publicity and the kind of notoriety, I guess you can say, um, that people like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery um, are getting. So mm -hmm. it's been very difficult for me recently to even just deal. Like I haven't been able to research and learn. And all I can really say at this point is I know I'm going to vote. Yeah. <laughs> November the third or fourth or whatever day it is, election day, I'm going to vote. And I'm going to continue to actively be active in the movement, continue to do the work. And so, um, and that's one of the things I also admire about you, because I know you are a social worker. Mm -hmm. And so how did you, what, what made you want to actually choose that as a line of work? It, it, it honestly came on me. It wasn't something I chose because I was chasing money. I have an MBA. Um, I was okay. working I done went through so many different, my, my college education career. <laughs> I, was, I started as a music major because I sing, but then I was like, I don't know if I want, you know, I go, what I want to do, what's the chance of me making it, you know? So then I went to political science because I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. Then I start hating the law. So I was like, nah, because they're going to try to turn me crooked. 
you know, F the police, mm -hmm. F law enforcement, <laughs> like mm -hmm. F the law. So I went against that, but I still enjoy political science and I love history. So I like I'm a history buff. So that stayed with me. Then um, I went, I wanted, I got a degree, my bachelor's in communications radio, but my goal was I wanted to be a radio, um, I wanted to have a radio talk show, right? Okay. But I wanted to talk. There's this show that come on on KJLH in L.A., Stevie Wonder Station, early in the mornings. And it's um, I forgot what the name of it was, but all they talk about is issues in the community. What's happening okay. in the community, activism, stuff like that. And I used to listen to it faithfully and I wanted to show like that. That was my goal. That's why I went into the broadcasting journalism route. Mm, okay. Didn't make much of that. Ended up in healthcare, All of that. Had a child. How I ended up in social work was when I moved to Texas, I was going through a real hard time. And I have to say that I was dealing with my own set of like mental health uh, challenges mm -hmm. from the time when I had my son. My son was born in 99 and I had postpartum depression that went untreated. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, I just didn't know, like I made a lot of bad decisions. I didn't know what was going on with me. I never understood it. It was so much stigma in my family. Nobody wanted to talk about it. Come to the more and more I kept speaking out about my mental um, depression and stuff like that. Come to find out like it's normal. Like everybody was feeling like that, but nobody talked about it. So mm -hmm. when I got here in Texas and things just was so bad, I remember lying on the floor crying one day, not knowing what I was unemployed, not knowing what I was going to do with my life. And I just heard this voice say, you know what? I'm going to make everything that you done been through your career and your profession and your ministry and your passion. And this is what you're going to be doing. I've already involved in advocacy and community service through Delta. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, from all my community service and mm -hmm. work that I had done for most of my life, but I didn't connect the social work to it because in my yeah. mind, social work was only child welfare. And I knew I didn't want to work mm -hmm. with kids. So that happened. And then I started looking up, I'm going to be a counselor, mental health therapist. And so I started looking at the difference between LPC and LCSWs, you know, mental health side of social work. And then I found that the social work fit me better because with social work, we look at people, the situation holistically, whereas counselors focus on the behaviors, like change behavior. So cognitive behavior therapy, they focus on changing the way you think and look at things so your behaviors can change. So it's more like change behavior therapy. Where with social work, for instance, say someone is dealing with drugs, right? Um, we have someone on drugs. We have someone who kids are being taken away, can't find decent work. All these challenges and getting beat at home, say they're getting beat at home by their husband, all these challenges, but we want them to get, we want them to get off drugs. Well, we got to change this environment. We have to get them out of this home. That's abusive environment. We need to get them somewhere sober. We need to provide them with some resources so they can become functional, mm -hmm. um, get them in parenting classes so they can get their kids back, get them some help. And that's treating the person holistically versus why do you act like this? Like we can't expect somebody to get sober and they got all this other stuff crumbling around them like how do they function if we don't fix the stuff as we're treating them how do, if we don't fix the things that are around them mm. you know so that's why i chose social work because it spoke to me better like no i want to be a part of a holistic change in a person mm. you know than just versus focusing so much on their behavior and the way they think 
So with social work, we do it all. Mm. So. You know, I, I really, really appreciate you saying, sharing that the way you just did, because, you know, something that I've always said, you guys, anybody that go that knows me from college, like mm -hmm. Dr. Johnson going for that PhD, going for that level, because I you know I have a master's degree as well. Mm -hmm. But I also decided after getting my master's degree that mm -hmm. if I go back to school, <laughs> it's going to be because it's going to be required for me. Right to do something that I want to do. And so I love podcasting. I love doing this. But if I was to go back and pursue like a career or something like that, social work would definitely be it. Mm. Because the idea of looking at something holistically is something that hasn't really been done even for myself as, mm -hmm. you know, within my own mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. And you know, through my own journey of going through different therapists and, you know, even being on different medications and stuff like mm -hmm. that, I have learned, too, for myself that I really have to take care of myself holistically, you know, taking these. And I'm not anti-medications. Right. But if I'm sleep, like, for example, not too long ago, I was sleeping on my friend's couch didn't have no money, didn't have no car, you know, things were just not looking right. I know that taking this pill ain't, it's going to make me feel a little bit better, right. but it's not going to change my environment. It's not yeah. going to give me the money that I need to get my own place, to get my own car and stuff like that. So when we talk about mental health and specifically mental health for black men in the black community, it gets so deep. No, and no. Because the trauma, like, and like I was saying earlier, I literally cannot see another news article. Like when I get on Facebook, I'm yeah. going on Facebook and I'm jumping right into a group that, yeah. you know, a, a safe space. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. of how, you know, to be quite honest, how mentally fragile I am. Mm -hmm. Because well, you have to disconnect. You have to. Mm -hmm. You I know, I, I, I felt guilty for that. I felt guilty for that for a long time. Mm -hmm. But, um, I'm in a much better place now because I've learned that I'm all that I got, you know, it's, yeah. it's God in this thing and I have to protect myself first. And I also understand that this is going to be a lifelong journey. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every day, every day, just, you only have 24 hours in a day, right? Mm -hmm. You don't even look at tomorrow and don't look at yesterday. 24 hours. I have 24 hours in this moment, in this day, you got to stay present mm -hmm. or you will get consumed and overwhelmed with so much like, and that's real. So yeah, you have to protect your peace. And with all that's going on right now, you have to disconnect. I need to disconnect. I don't, cause I'll be ready. You know, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> locked and loaded on social media, ready to go off. I troll Trump ass every single day. I just, <laughs> and it's like, and I know I need to do better, but I'm like, I'm consumed. Like I can't, I feel like I'm gonna miss something. Mm. And so that's why I don't, but sometimes you, you, you have to. And if you know where you need to be mentally in the type of space that you need to be in, if that's what you got to do and you can't read an article and you can't, then don't, especially when they're showing as a black man, they're showing black men being manhandled by the police. And you know, to go back to what you were saying, like the Emmett Till, um, when the guy said George Floyd is the Emmett Till of our day. Well, I can go Rodney King 
was mm. the Emmett Till of the of the nineties. <laughs> you know, yeah. even it it had been going on. I have a cousin who was killed by police, and we still ain't seen the uh, police really? report. It wasn't filmed. He sent them, and, and not to say that he wasn't. If it was, if it were to be aired today, they would criminalize him because he sent them on a chase, right? Sent them on a high speed chase. This is this was in L.A. Yeah, this was in L.A. back in. Whew, this had to be in the the late nine, mid to late nineties. L.A. was real popping back then, as far as like the gangs and crime. You know, this was the era of the super predators. Mm. Um, yeah, Michael was like, we're close in age, but I, I'm trying to think. Was my son born? It was. It was like maybe the mid to late nineties. It could have been the late nineties, early two thousands. But anyway. He sent them on a high-speed chase. We do know that. We don't know why they were, uh, why he was running from the police because he hadn't been in no trouble as far as we knew. But, uh, I mean, he had been in trouble in his life, but not during that time. Like, he seemed to be cool. And they said he got, they, this is what they said. He got out the car and had a weapon. You know, that's the, isn't that always the, mm -hmm. it looked like he had a weapon or he had a weapon and they killed him. Suicide by cop. That's what they called it. Mm. But we don't know if that's true. They never, they gave, they gave his mother um, the runaround, you know? So it's like, how do we know? The way shit is going right now. How do you know? So this has been going on in the neighborhood, in the hood since slavery. It's been going on for centuries. The whole institution of law enforcement was built on racial discrimination. So how, how can we rehabilitate the system or even... What is the word I'm looking for? What do they call it when they're trying to change a system? Reform. Reform. How do you reform a system that was never built and meant to, to be just? Mm. You know? That's yeah. why you hear all of these uh, defund the police, which does not mean get rid of the police, but then you do have the uh, ab uh, abolish the police people, which means, no, tear all this shit down and let's start scratch with a whole new system. And I get those people too. We do need law enforcement. So we cannot just be like, oh, get rid of law enforcement. Yeah. But something has to give because America is about to blow. Like this, right? What we seeing right now, it ain't nothing. You know what I mean? It's It's been going on for ages. Megger Evers, MLK, Malcolm X, and countless, this whole town of Rosewood. Tulsa, you know, this mm -hmm. has been going on. This ain't no new shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, you know, I just tried to learn my place in the movement. You know, I, I remember when the last protest I went to and I just realized like being there and seeing just the... Uh, it was this dude that was throwing water bottles at the police. <laughs> off. I was like, what the like, dude, what the fuck? For real? Like, you trying to get us all killed out here? And then it was just like, I'm looking at this dude, and I know he he definitely wasn't older than me. 
You know, I don't know if he was my agent, but but at the same time, with the amount of rage that I feel, you can see. It wasn't until afterwards I was reflecting on it. It was like, you you don't know what he been through, what his life is like when he go home after this protest. You know what I'm saying? People talk about Atlanta and how it's the black Mecca and, you know, it's, you know, the play land of opportunity. It's really just like any other major city. That's bullshit. And I wrote, I read an article on that. I think today how the complicitness of Keisha Lance, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, and that's a, a member of Delta Sigma Theta, but she ain't above critique. I don't live there. However, <laughs> <laughs> there's been some complicity. It was an article on T.I. and Killer Mike, right? Mm-hmm. And how they were trying to, um, they called him the misle- black misleadership is what they called them. How you, you don't, you want to address the people who are angry and frustrated and and tired of this bullshit, but you're not going to address the systems and do something about the systems that are causing this. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, how do you tell, how do you stand there as black people, leaders of the community and tell people that they need to not be tearing up their own shit. Don't nobody own shit in that play in Atlanta. It ain't the damn black Mecca because 80% of them people I'm sure ain't, ain't don't own nothing. <laughs> Listen, you know what I'm saying? So who, 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 who? Yeah. Uh, they called them in the article. They are the landlords. Yeah. They own shit. You protecting your money. Cause that's really what that was about. And it ain't just Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You know, it ain't just Atlanta. Just like they were saying that same shit in LA back in the 90s. Y'all tearing up y'all own neighborhood. We don't own this shit. We don't own shit. You know why? Because y'all y'all cheating us out, the system cheating us out of getting fair uh lending practices, lending loans. Y'all don't want to give us shit. Y'all don't want to give us business loans. You give us high interest rates. You let all these other people come up into the neighborhood and be in sale and make money off of us. Hmm. It's listen, <laughs> I, I completely understand because it's like I, I remember. So when they the moment that I had with them with Killer Mike and T.I. and just Keisha Lance Bottoms and watching that whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, which after this, I'm going to send me that article because I do want to read that. Okay, I'm, I'm um, looking for it right now because I just I tweeted it today. I know I did. But, go ahead. but um, it's like I understood what they were saying. And the person who spoke to me the most mm-hmm. was Killer Mike. Because one of the first words when he was at that news conference that I saw, one of the first things he said was, I don't want to be here. I don't yeah. want to be here. I saw you know him And so I... <laughs> I'm the kind of person where I'm able to listen for understanding Mm -hmm. to try to see where people are coming from. Yet in reality, you know, like my own present situation, you know, yeah, I just founded my my company and things are going well, but I am Mm -hmm. broke. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I am a flat tire and, you know, a, a car repair away from being. Listen. Fucked for real, you know what I'm saying? We all are in this damn pandemic. All during the pandemic, we we didn't even talk about the global pandemic that is still going 
And you mm. and I got I got I got an opinion on that shit too, but finish your point nah, about come on. Let's, 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 <laughs> so, let's go ahead and get into it. So what is your opinion on the pandemic right now? This all these deaths could have been fucking prevented. Total fuck shit on the behalf on behalf of your clown in chief. Not not mine. This motherfucker. I'm sorry. I don't know if we can curse on y'all show or not. But you this- sure can say how you feel because hmm. it's all. I don't know if you've heard the the audio. This motherfucker is on tape talking about how he was very well versed and knew about the severity of this pandemic and how open China was about what it was, like what was going on and how serious it was, how 50% of their cases of diagnosed cases were asymptomatic, how it's airborne, how he knew all of this shit back in February and he continued to downplay it. Then he lied and said he downplayed it not to cause fear, right? Okay, motherfucker, you didn't want to cause fear. I I, I might could buy that shit. If you had a still went into action, mm-hmm. you downplayed it and didn't do shit. People didn't have, the states didn't have the proper PPE. You disbanded the whole damn um, pandemic unit that Obama had set up. You you disbanded that. You were threatening certain blue states for of lack of stuff, talking about they were mismanaging. You didn't want to send them anything. He, still, he just tweeted some bullshit about the blue states today. Mm. You know, you you sat up here and did nothing and people died. People got sick. People lost their jobs. People are getting evicted and can't pay rent. People are stressed. Domestic violence has gone up. Child abuse has gone up. Suicide has gone up during this pandemic. And you're going to say you didn't want to cause fear, but yet you over there screaming, law and order, law and order. Oh, they're under Biden's administration. This is what America looked like. No, motherfucker, it's happening under you. This is your administration where all this shit is happening under right now. God damn it. You know what I'm saying? Like, how dare you, you evil bastard? That is pure evil. All for political gain. All for your own political interests and motives. You didn't want it to look like the economy is bad. The economy, we're in a fucking depression. Unemployment is sky high. And it's higher, guess what, amongst who? Us. You got essential workers working for minimum wage, trying to keep shit open because you want the economy. You didn't start shutting shit down till March. And this conversation was in February. You found out about the shit late January. You said, oh, 99%. We only have one case. Oh, by June, it'll be gone. By summer, it's going to get hot. And all that. You have motherfuckers drinking bleach. Like, <laughs> the fuck? Listen, I... 
remember when it all first, like the pandemic started to happen. I remember it was like January, it was talking about, oh, coronavirus in China and, you know, oh, it's, you know, spreading around the world and other countries are immediately across the whole board. I remember when the first half of Italy got locked down, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. within two days, the entire country shut down one swoop no if ands buts no across this day, that day this year, shut completely down when it started to come to the united states <laughs> <laughs> we had when they had their first couple of cases up in seattle and actually my mom and my sister live in seattle because that was the original hot spot wasn't mm -hmm. it Yep, it was, it was the first uh hot spot for it. I was, I was just like, oh my god, what is gonna happen? And by mid-March, I just knew I was like, is this the end of the world? Like that that's literally that was my mindset around that time, like March, April. I was like, This is the end of the world. This virus is about to come and everybody's gonna be sick and we're just going to get like that was it was such a and, and then to see I remember when, when I first realized that it was going to get real for real mm -hmm. when I became aware that he literally blocked the CDC. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like the Center for Disease Control for this country. You, you're not uh, you're not allowing them. So you. You you want people to die. You do you remember? Do you like, remember them early days how he was censoring reporters? Well, first of all, you created a task force and you put Mr. Homophobic Vice President him damn self, whose AIDS cases went skyrocket high in his own fucking uh jurisdiction and shit. You know what I'm saying? Because he doesn't believe in fucking science. You put him over the task force. <laughs> the fuck. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, yeah. I mean, no, like, like, what kind of? But do you remember how when the them reporters would get up and say, "Sir," I mean, not the reporters, the scientists, the doctors, the experts, Fauci, and all of them would get up and up there and try to do stuff, and Trump would try to cut them off and chime in. Then he stopped giving, letting Fauci report. He started trying to turn the country against Fauci, but that shit didn't work because we was like, shit, Fauci, all we got to know mm -hmm. about anything. He tried to silence him and put a muzzle on him where he couldn't do no more interviews and shit. Remember when he told motherfuckers to inject bleach or some shit? <laughs> or bleach yeah. gets rid of it or yeah. something like that. And then he looked over there to the woman doctor and he's like, yeah, because it's him. And, and her face was just like, are you serious? She didn't even know. She looked stuck. I, I remember because that was around the time that I was like, okay, this pandemic stuff, I was like, I'm up on my sea moss as best as I can. Mm -hmm. Try to eat, you know, as many, as much plant-based natural foods as I can. Mm -hmm. Try to make sure I'm sleeping. That's when I started working now, trying to take care of my body because I was like, I'm going to have to just survive at this point. Man, you, don't, you literally don't know because you, you don't you, there's no for me there has not been a consistent form of information about it in this mm -hmm. country 
The you know where the consistency came from? The moment that them air things came out, that's what you know what was really going on. So now that we know all of this shit that you that you should have been telling people back then, there's a better way. Now you need to come up with a plan to fix it. But he ain't gonna try to fix shit because he's still downplaying it in the news the hell today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even like we had it under control. I closed down China. Then you start calling it the, the China virus. Really? And all this kind of stuff, They're trying to blame China. And on the video recording or the, the, the audio recording, he was talking about how open and transparent China was. Everything he was saying behind closed doors was total opposite of what he was giving the American people. How you lead is you be open and you be honest, but you come up with a fucking plan. You go into action. You go yeah. into action. But we are going to get through this together. It's just like if there were just, for instance, I fuck Mayor Giuliani, but we can say he definitely showed leadership during the 9-11, and it is 9-11 a day, uh, memory of those who lost anyone and those who did uh, lose their lives in that. Give you a memory today. But Giuliani showed leadership during that period in how he handled things in New York after 9-11. He the fuck nigga now, but (laughs) at that time, it was chaos. And he found a way to ease fears and console his constituents in New York at that time. That's leadership. Yeah. This is what's happening. It's very serious. I need us to take it serious. And how you lead, you got to lead fool meaning you don't go you don't you wear your mask because guess what trump is a germaphobe that's why his ass ain't got that shit he's a germaphobe i'm almost certain that fool wearing that mask behind closed doors like he ain't let nobody get too close to him he's getting tested everybody's getting tested around because even like when it came out like how are the how are there no tests but all these celebrities steady getting tests Oh, all these high profile supposed to be free. Supposed to be free, you know what I'm saying? And even even there was a point in time where I wanted to get tested. It's like I gotta go wait in this line for two and three hours with all these potential people who potentially have COVID. Yeah. No, I'm I'm not doing that. I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing. And until I can't breathe, (laughs) I'm gonna just keep living my life because it, it 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 was just it's just on top of everything we're seeing right now and e- even before 2020 mm-hmm. when people like that's why you know when we talked at the beginning of this podcast when people uh, when for me i speak for myself mm-hmm. when i finally learned the true history of this country and i don't know everything i'm not you know yeah yeah i'm not the brightest crayon in the box but i'm certainly not the darkest <laughs> <laughs> so once i learned that and this was like 2009 2010 my i i constantly began to have this like internal struggle with doing what is right i guess you could say mm-hmm. versus being like no y'all ain't never treated people that look like me right none of this shit is never. right the fact that you know in, in in my in the town that i went to high school and college and the fact that 
the majority of black people live on the east side and the majority of the white people live on the west side. And the fact that the west side got nice manicured lawns and new businesses and organizations mm -hmm. and new YMCAs and the east side got trash littered everywhere. And the hood is the ghetto. The, the ghetto. But America is the ghetto now. We can't even, I can't even escape if I wanted to. Passport <laughs> is invalid. What country is going to accept it? The borders are closed. Yeah, you know they're not letting mean? Americans in no damn where. Nowhere. We can't even go to Canada. Yep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There so are 193,000 deaths mm. and 6.45 million cases in America. And he did nothing. He did nothing. Fuck him. I am not pro-Biden. I'm going to put this out there. I feel like it's going to be some fuck shit when he get in office as well. However, we're not voting for Biden. We are voting against Trump. And that's the best way I can put it. That's the best way I can put it. This this the way this the way I look at it. You either gonna be in a gunfight with Trump or a knife fight with Biden. Either way it goes, we're gonna be fighting in this thing. We're gonna still be yeah. fighting for yeah. our freedom to, to be as we are. There's still gonna be police killings, police oh, yeah. brutality. It's yeah. all still gonna continue. It's not gonna magically change. Nothing's because... gonna change under Biden. Nothing. <laughs> he said it, he's admitted that. Like he wants to go back to the pre-Trump era, he's establishment. So he wants to go back to um an Ob Obama era time. You're talking about uh, Mr. Crime Bill himself. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things that he just won't bend on that progressives like myself are like, whatever, nigga. You know what I mean? But he has an opportunity to, to do better than what he's doing as far as, because there's no enthusiasm around Biden. The enthusiasm is around getting Trump out of office. So... He has an opportunity to do more, but he's already said he's going to do Obamacare. We need we need Medicare for all. We're in a fucking pandemic and people can't afford treatment. Crazy. You know what I'm saying? He's he's not against closing the borders. I mean, um, opening the borders. And I'm, I don't I don't I don't want to say opening the borders because I don't know his exact wording on it. But he's not anti uh What's the word I'm looking for? He supports certain immigration efforts, like, mm -hmm. you know, anti-immigration efforts. Um, he's He said he won't end fracking, <laughs> you know, when it comes what is, what is that? There's a few key issues that Biden is real lukewarm on. He did say he would do a, a, a federal minimum wage. He does support that. He won't end, um, you know what he said about marijuana users? Oh, we we don't. They shouldn't be go to prison, but they should go to rehab. Okay, so now they can't work. You going to they going to rehab for marijuana? Marijuana <laughs> rehab. They lose their job. They still got this on their record. You know, like it's, it's legal in like fourteen. Why not just why not just federally legalize it and let the industry go? 
Just and let it start it to drop. Of, and take it off and, and lower the schedule that it's on. Yes, take it off the... um. What is it? The schedule? The drugs schedule. I don't know. Some shit the government... Yeah, I think it's schedule if, if I'm not mistaken. But whatever the case may be. So it's like a lot of his stuff is just like, Biden, really? You're so tone deaf and out of touch with... But, the, but he was 78? How old is this fool? This fool just turned... Like I said, by, by the time I, I really started to, I, I began to really do my research on Biden and, and, and not just say, oh, he was the vice president for Obama. When I really started doing my research, I was, I was tapped out. I can't, I literally cannot scroll down my timeline <laughs> on Facebook, <laughs> Instagram. Twitter. I used to get I used to get on CNN.com every I used to get on CNN, MSNBC, Reuters, BBC website, you know, for from from the UK. I have I have had to completely stop all of that. Like I when I went and voted um and did my early voting, I was like, well, I'm gonna start looking up, you know, local because in full honesty and transparency, I didn't realize how important midterm and local elections are. Yes. That you was know, gonna bring me to my next point. We, understand, we you know, your local um senators and congressmen and aldermen and city officials, you know, these are all elected positions. Mm-hmm. I had to stop my research on that and those processes and with those lectures because I'm just so I cannot just be triggered by any small article that comes up, you know, just like I was telling you that um earlier, mm-hmm. hearing about the young man who was murdered in Colombia in Bogota. Yeah. I just I read that article that you said. No, an unarmed father of two. Um, what, what's his name? I, I do want to be sure I get his name right. Who the guy? Um, um, yeah. Uh, let me pull him up. Let's see. Let me pull it up. Javier or or Donez. Ooh, child. I know. I, yeah. But again, like ah, just looking at the article, just and what's going on in Colombia, like this is a world. This is a worldwide issue, and I think that that's something I think a lot of people are are missing because America specifically is designed to think only about America. Mm -hmm. You know, especially if we begin to talk about the American education system. But world, (laughs) a whole nother episode. Systemic racism is a pandemic. Oh, come on. It's a disease. Yes. And that's what we need to get rid of the fucking disease instead of focusing so much on the damn symptoms like we love to do. Because right now all we're doing is treating symptoms Mm -hmm. instead of eradicating the disease. A lot of the conditions of the black man, black woman, black family are a result of systemic racism, period, oppression. And we are all in a collective trauma, Hmm. you know, post-traumatic racial syndrome. (laughs) I I literally panic when I see the cops. Like I, I have a physical psychological reaction when I see law enforcement. My heart starts beating fast. I get lightheaded. My hands get sweaty. I shake. Same. Same here. Listen, let me tell you something. I just the other day, you know, I was telling you, you know, I just bought my car or whatever. And my tag expired. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I was trying to get my actual pay for my plate. And when I called the DMV, they're like, well, your address on your title is not correct. It's at your old address. And I'm like, why is this being done? Because all my paperwork for my vehicle shows my current address, right? Right, right. Yeah. And so they're like, well, you're going to have to wait this and then the third incident. So uh, literally I'm on my way to DC. I'm like, I'm good. I'll handle this when I get back. The Mm -hmm. guy calls me, you know, from the dealer. He's like, you know, there's an issue with your title. You're going to have to do this. You have to do that. Come get this letter notarized and all this stuff. So I'm like, and it got down to the day before. Of course, I'm calling DMV again. I'm on phone for three and four hours at a time. I'm out of town. I'm like, there's nothing I can do if I get back anyway. It got down to the point where I was like, my tag's about to be expired. And I'm about to be a black man out here riding around right. in Atlanta Ooh. with an expired tag. During all was going on. Ooh. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I it, it wasn't like I could just pull up at the DMV because the DMV is 45 minutes away from where I live. On top of that, I can't get somebody on the phone to understand. So by the time I get it taken care of my tag was expired for like two or three days oh and you were worried huh it was look that them was the days i was walking to the gas <laughs> station to get some water you know what i'm saying i made sure that before like, I it expired, i was you know stocked up on things because i knew and on top of that the holiday was so expired on the fifth and the holiday was that monday okay yeah and so i knew i couldn't do nothing until that tuesday I was like, you know what? If I have to go anywhere, I'm going to just keep all my paperwork in my car and just pray and hope for the best. 10 and 2 all day, and I'm doing five miles under the speed limit. <laughs> so, nobody, so don't nobody mess with you. Just, but, but on top of that, it's the anxiety and the fear of even, 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 even though all my stuff is legit now. Insurance, you know, tax. Yeah, that's you know, Rayshard Brooks, got, I remember when I'm less than two miles from the Wendy's. Really? Yes. Wow. The, the, the day it happened, I was like. Did you I, hear the shots? I didn't hear the shots. Oh, okay. Um, but you, you were right there close when it happened. I, I, I was close enough. I've been to that Wendy's before at two, three o'clock in the morning. Jesus. And he was complaining everything until he could, you know what? I truly believe in my heart. When he made a run for it, he got scared. He, I, I felt like he was like, y'all not gonna take me into custody. Listen, I'm to the point to where, I mean, I, I, I pray every time. I literally ride with my this thing that my grandmother had in her car. It's a little Jesus fish that hangs in my window. Mm -hmm. At one point, um, back in like May, June, when things were really, really protest was heavy here in Atlanta. I was like, I pray that I'm out, not out nowhere and a cop try and pull me over because I'm probably not going to stop. <laughs> Y'all going to have to catch I wouldn't, me. I wouldn't stop till I got to somewhere safe. But even then, as soon as you get out the car, they might start shooting at your ass. Okay. I don't even know. I don't even know what this. It, it's like you damned if you do. Damn I don't even know. I, I don't even know. Yeah, so it's it's a lot. And, and that's one of the reasons why I said that I have been so strategic. And the information I consume and who I talk to and what we talk about and making sure that I'm always in a safe space. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I appreciate people like you, because, I mean, I think this is one of the 
I mean, I did a com I did a, a podcast with a police officer. Um, that was really cool, very, oh, okay. very honest, very open, very transparent. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, he's he's an officer from uh that that, that I kind of know personally a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, to know that there are some police officers, you know, because I know all police officers aren't bad, but mm-hmm. to know that there are some that are very aware. You know, and he's a black man. He's a police officer. You know what I'm saying? To know that there's I, I, there's still some part of me, and I, and I know this is because I believe in God, and I know that he's he's always with me. There's that little bit of hope that I hold on to that keeps me going. You good. But, <laughs> and, I, and I've been trying so hard to be positive, and it becomes so hard sometimes, but... I don't... I. I feel like this. I don't see why black people join the, the join law enforcement. I get it. It's like we need them, but I I feel the same way about black people joining the military. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like why would you go fight for a country that don't love you? You know, um, right. and then as far as the law enforcement, um, and I know quite a few people in law enforcement on both, like as lawyers and as law enforcement officers, um, somebody very close to me is the feds. And even he talks a little different because, and what I've noticed is once you get, you're not black, you're not white, you're blue. When you become a cop until you take them clothes off, then you're black. Well, one of the things that I can say specifically about the officer that I did the episode with before is that. No matter one of the things, um, and I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but at the end of the day, under that uniform, mm-hmm. he's a black man, he's a human being at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and he's the kind of officer who carries himself differently, he approaches situations differently. Um, yet at the same time, being a police officer, there's certain situations that you have to just exist and be because at the end of the day especially now people are got it out for police yeah they want to they want to kill cops they are killing cops and stuff like that so and it's because i know people like him and i'm speaking specifically for him that what don't let your little present You're gonna make me say this video uh and maybe put it up one day because uh for those of y'all listening, we're actually on, on, on a video that uh recording, so it, it does add us a, a different level of a different level to the podcasting um journey. <laughs> You just threw off my thigh. Right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You were talking about the cop. You was like because I love that. I, I really love him. Like he's like he technically low key is my family you know what i'm saying and he's done things like even just recently to to that 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 i know he's one of them people that yes his life matter this blue life matters but can i say that collectively for all cops fuck no and that's and that's um and that's the sad part yeah i would love to interview a cop because what i'm gonna ask is if you saw misconduct what are you gonna do Oh, I asked him that, and he said he's going to do something about it. He's told me he's even reported officers. And he still has a job. He's not blackballed because I actually know someone who has been blackballed. And you see a lot of the stories, the good cops get blackballed. They get 
bullied. They get mistreated. Well, what I can say is that I think based on his reputation mm-hmm. and who he is mm-hmm. and the kind of, I guess you could say, clout he has. Gotcha. That, that couldn't happen to him. It, 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 you ain't. Mm-mm. But Just I'm going to give you a prime example. We Let's take the George George Floyd case, right? That the the two that were standards by, but the the one that had just got on the job, right? Mm-hmm. It's his first day of training, I think, with with uh, Wilson. Is that his name, the officer? That child, I don't know. I think it's Darren Wilson. I can't I can't think of it off the top of my head. Yeah, I forget. Um, but I think it's Darren Wilson. He that was his first day of training. Who knows? Wait, 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 wait. Pause. Cause that, cause again, I haven't been able to do my research, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little uninformed. The George Floyd case. One of the officers. It was his first day on the yeah. job, or second. Like he was very new. Let me. I'm about to pull it up right now. But anyway, who knows what kind of cop he would have been? And on one side of me is like, man, f him. He sat there and did it, but then the other side is like, it was. What was he to do? As a, this is his. Commander, like this is his person he reports to, his supervisor, his manager. What is he to do on his first, second day? I mean, everybody be like, nah, he should have said something. But like literally, if that had been anybody, mm-hmm. I don't know. Now, I probably with me being black seeing that would have been like, yo, what the fuck? Get off of, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I would... I, and I, I feel know like that, but I, who know who to say? I feel like I would have been like, "Hell no, get off him!" But at the same time, who's to say? So imagine this—you being new on the force. This is your superior on this man's neck. What do you do? Two things. Mm-hmm. That that bring comes to mind. One, I want um to say this about the officer that I interviewed. Mm-hmm. His his career is going to take him more. To, I'm I'm almost 100% certain he's going to do more than just be a police officer the rest of his life. Okay, so I know the kind of mindset he has, his presence, the way he speaks, the way he communicates. He's going to ascend to a higher position to be able to really influence more power than where he currently is. Mm-hmm. From what you just said, it makes me think about my first year teaching mm-hmm. when I first moved to Atlanta. Okay. I mean, when I say... I saw things go down in schools and a part of the school system that I used to only see on movies and documentaries. Mm-hmm. Like, are we, uh, is this, so we really not going to let kids eat because they come in the building at 7.55 and breakfast start at 7.50? Mm-hmm. We're really not going to give out Band-Aids to a child that's bleeding because the nurse is gone and the nurse office is locked. Ain't nobody in, in here got no key to this nurse's mm-hmm. office to get this. Ch- Why the front desk lady ain't got a little bag of Band-Aids right, first day kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm literally pulling kids off of a, off of a bus for fighting and I have a first grade student who was stabbed pencil <gasps> lead in leg and I'm being told by my administration wow. to put this child back on the bus so he could go home so yeah I and I was like 
dumbfounded at like what what am I supposed to do? And then when I finally started to become more vocal and and speak about the things I'm doing, I was somewhat blackballed. And that's part of the reason why they low-key pushed me out of my position because they knew that I wasn't going to be quiet about the bullshit I was seeing up in that school system. Because when it even down to the point to where you telling me I'm I'm the technology liaison for this building mm-hmm. and you got the fucking audacity to tell me I'm using too much technology in the classroom right. when you just spent our entire budget maybe because I know what that budget was like when I actually see the budget as the representative for the student um, for the council for the I don't even remember the title but anywho you uh-huh. just spent upwards of $100,000 apparently to get this one to one ratio now you're telling me not to use so much technology in the classroom right, right. yeah see yeah. So it's like you can um, you can kind of oh, feel. I I I can I can I, I get what you're saying. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Because even when I did start to go to district level officials and filing a grievance and HR and shit like that, now I know that y'all buddy, but the bitch I'm taking the HR grievance letter to is your homegirl. Right, right. Before I even get in the car and leave the district office, she on the phone with you like, girl, your teacher done brought this paperwork up in here. Right. And see, right. I know that kind of stuff now. And see, I also understand that there's a bigger fight going on right now than me dealing with these right. the same people <laughs> that work in these school districts, specifically the one I used to be a part of here. You know what I'm saying? It's it's this is a again, <laughs> Jesus, I need my water. <laughs> oh, and the uh officer was Derek Chauvin in the George Floyd case. Darren Wilson was the Mike Brown case. See, all of these white D white men names starting with D's is getting me confused. White cops. <laughs> yeah. It's like but the fact that I that name even why do I know the name? Because of what he did. That cop, Darren Wilson, he killed Mike Brown. But it's Derek Chauvin in the George Floyd case. But but yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Like, you know, you with all of this going on, it's kind of like what you feel that you experience might not be that big, but it's still part of the system. It's still some system bullshit. And when you you coming in, like, how do you, how do you how can you when you knew coming in on something? So that's why I'm kind of like, how do we how do we look at the actual officers who are being charged for aiding and abetting? What about that one? Like I, you know, so I, I struggle with that one a little mm-hmm. bit because the humanity in him should have been like, no, say something mm-hmm. like this, that. But then I can also imagine him being scared, you know. And I'm not trying to cake for him in no kind of way. Trust that. It's just I think about that. Like, what was he supposed to do? Like, what? I mean, not what was he supposed to do. We know what he was supposed to do, but what? What you can you imagine what was going on in yeah in in the midst of that moment because there's let me tell you something right this something something I rarely have talked about with anybody Mm -hmm. when I left Atlanta and I was teaching in DC Mm -hmm. you want to talk about and I thought Atlanta was bad (laughs) (laughs) them DC kids (laughs) no first of all it was. It was never the children. What part of DC were you were you working in? Southeast. Is that the the um, that, that's, my, 
like 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 one of the admins told me, the belly of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna have to look up Southeast DC. See what they're talking about up in there. Ward eight, if I'm not mistaken. But you want to talk about? I mean, I literally witnessed poverty on levels that. I mean, it it was just so intense and in my face every day. And then just the nonchalant demeanor of some mm. of the people that look like us. These, these are black people. These are our fucking people. Are you fucking kidding me? These are our children. Mm-hmm. But you know people get in power and like and, and they that's, forget. And that's See, I feel myself getting worked up in a moment because I'm not <laughs> play about children, man. I will live right. in times when I've had to check a parent about their own child, about how they treat their own child. And having to sit there and navigate that conversation, like, damn, yeah. Mrs. So-and-so, I completely understand your point of view and where you're coming from, yet the tone and approach that is occurring in this meeting right now, um, specifically from you towards your child and the things you're saying is very inappropriate and unhealthy. And I hope you understand that I'm telling you this from a place of love, like to have to say that versus being like, bitch, you need to stop talking to your fucking child like that. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I know that on the flip side too, it's like, I don't want to disrespect a black woman like that. Right. I don't want it. So it's just, it literally just breaks me down. Oh, child, I don't want to cry right now, but <laughs> <laughs> it really just hurts. Like it physically hurts when I begin to think about it. Like there's a pain that arises in me in my chest that I, I just hurt for, for my people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's why even when I left, you know, education, you know, if that's the reason why I had to leave because on top of my own mental health struggles i literally could not physically witness what i was witnessing anymore i couldn't see no more kids coming into this building and they hungry and they tired and one little boy i'm he's literally walking into my classroom mm -hmm. and my co-teacher was like if so-and-so's a little off today it's probably because his brother shot somebody on their front porch last Ooh. night oh my like, oh, as you, like, thank you for coming to tell me this, but you're telling me this as this child's walking into my classroom, and now I have to process this and go in here and start instruction? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm going I'm to I'm digress from that because, you know, I get very passionate <laughs> when I talk about education because that's what my entire college career was built on was trying to be mm -hmm. One of the reasons why I love podcasting so much and because this is still a way for me to share and exchange knowledge, which is ultimately the core of what I'm very passionate about. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I need to be rest. So I'm going to ask you one more question. We're going to. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. We're we going to do a part two. You got to And you got to And just to say, like, that's, that's why you got to decompress and, and disconnect from because activism because what being a teacher is activism mm -hmm. activism can be overwhelming because you feel like just one small part and like it ain't enough 
Like I get overwhelming thinking, what is it going to take for us to be able to live equally here? Like, what is it going to take for y'all to stop killing us like that? And I get overwhelmed because I feel hopeless. Like it ain't nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. Feeling hopeless. Like, no. and that was something they used to preach here in Atlanta was, <laughs> I, I remember, I remember, I'll never forget. That lady told me, she was like, I was like, literally, this is during my first year. I said, I'm doing the best that I can. She mm-hmm. looked at me, she said, well, the best that you could do is not good enough. Mm. I was like, but now I feel very comfortable saying that the best that I can do is the best that I can do. Because it's all I can do at the end of the day. Yeah. Yep. It is. Whether I'm giving 150% one day or my or my 150% is really looking like about a 50% one day. Mm-hmm. If I'm trying to advance my people, mm-hmm. if I'm trying to change the system, if I'm literally working Day in and day out to try to place in your own mental health for this uh, work. <laughs> I get it. Then you doing all you can do. But come up in a building. And, and child, let me. Yeah, we, we we're gonna digress from that because we didn't got too deep in education. <laughs> so, what was your last question? You were um, so <laughs> I'm enjoying the conversation. Look, me too. That's what I said. We definitely gonna <laughs> look this that look. We already over an hour. It's definitely gonna be a two-part series. <laughs> Our episodes, so we might as well keep it going a little bit. Right. Cause you but, know I, I can mean, talk about this systemic shit for man, me too. Me too. And it's and, and that's why I do, do want to take a moment to say that's why, why I appreciate you so 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 much, Keila. Like you have no idea Aww. how blessed and fortunate I am to have met you. You not only not only just a part of the club, but somebody that I consider a friend, somebody that I could call yeah. on anytime because anytime. it's very it's been it's been hard for me. It's been so hard for me for many, many, many years. And even doing this podcast, like, you know, it's doing pretty well. You know, I got a nice little, you know, my, my analytics ain't, you know, where I would, where they could be, but it ain't, you know. They're I mean, not bad. They're not bad. You know, they cute or whatever. Yeah, you got a <laughs> but, um, lot of uh, upcoming things popping. So, yeah. Hey, you know, it's, it's also like it, in the movement and in my activism, I found myself isolated a lot or feeling very alone because it's like do y'all not get what we really fighting here like we not just trying to like for like then takes me back to teaching mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not here to like yeah i'm here to do my job okay and requirements stuff like that but i could care less about that state test that these kids gonna take at the end of the year right I can care less about if this kid's going to master this standard. I can care less about what, the, what this child's grade's going to be in my classroom. Right. My real MO here is to come in here and be positive, be uplifting, and knowing the kind of demographics I'm serving, I want them to come into a clean classroom that smells good. Mm-hmm. I want to be that teacher had the little snacks on deck for when they right. get hungry and stuff. You know what I'm saying? So that was my true motivation and to know that I received so much pushback from the things I was trying to create. But anywho. Wow. Um, why? Why? So tell us about your podcast and why you started it. Okay. I won't give you the whole backstory on it, but I was. Well, say, at this point, you might as well. We got to, <laughs> it's definitely going to be a two part series. So. 
Well, I was a co-host on a podcast. Um, but I was just a guest. I was a content creator, though. I was the one who researched all the topics and came up with the show topics. And um, I'm getting a little feedback. You hear it? Yeah, that's weird. We ain't had that all show. I just uh, I'll, I'll write the timestamp down. We'll be good. Okay. Maybe I'm a little too close, but it's like an echo. You hear it? I don't hear it no more. Hear it? Okay, well I hear it. So that's why I'm like, maybe it's my mic. Uh, I don't know what happened. Some shifted, but I can hear it now. But anyway, um, I was a I came up with all the ideas and did all the research on the topics and provided all the articles and things because I'm about being informed and knowing what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I was probably the main voice on there, not intentionally, but it just my voice happened to be, you know, the one. I was the one most invested in it as a host. Anyway, I started dating the producer. Oh. <laughs> and things were cool. It wasn't anything serious, but you know, I don't know. He took me home and I met his kids and grandkids and sisters and his whole family and son-in-laws. So I felt we were moving towards something. You don't just bring nobody to meet your family and they not nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> but mm-hmm. hey, everybody see things differently. So, but he tried to holler at the other co-host on the show. And how it came out was because he was talking about having to sign these contracts, but we weren't getting paid, right? And so I was like, well, well, what is what are we signing? And he couldn't really give me a um clear indication because he didn't know shit. First of all, he is he a he a St. Louis no, no, you better read <laughs> yeah, regular St. Louis I barely had a high school educated just that he's the equivalent to a South Central LA nigga hood nigga basically <laughs> but he was good with with production and all that stuff. He didn't know nothing about the business, but when it came to actually producing the actual show, he was good at that. So anyway, I was just, we were chilling and then he tried to hook up with the other, the other, um, the other calls when I hit her up and I was like, he's trying to make us sign a contract. And I, I don't know if I'm a, you know, deal with that too much. And so I was talking to the, um, talking to my lawyer friend and he was like, it's probably just about uh, copyrights and stuff like that. And I was like, all right. So when I told the other girl about it, I don't know how it came up in the conversation about him, but we both, she was like, he's shady. I knew I didn't like, you know, it was whatever. And then she's like, girl, you know, he tried to date me. And I said, what? (laughs) (laughs) She said, yeah. And I said, she was like, yeah, talking about outside the show. And I said, he said that to you? And she said, yeah, the day we were, he was supposed to cook dinner for both of us, blah, blah, blah. She she said, hold on. She must have sent me them screenshots. And I was like, wow, this was after we came back from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And I peacefully got in the group and was just like, I quit. And I said, y'all be good, be blessed, blah, blah, blah. I'm done. And I I uh, got out the group, right? 
So he, I, he hit me up. And, no, I hit him up and I said, you need to come get these mics and stuff like that. He didn't know I had knew nothing yet. And then he was like, all right. He thought I was quitting because of the contract situation. But I wasn't. I was quitting over that because I'm just not a you messy at this point. And mm. that, that this is a toxic situation. Yeah. I'm all about eliminating toxicity. Okay. <laughs> so listen to that podcast. So I left. And then um, he came and picked up the mics and that was that. But I remember after that, just feeling so dejected and damn, I really liked it. And it was something that I, have, I had come out of a really dark space for from 2017 to the beginning of this year. And that was something I had started that had like one of the first positive things that happened to me since I pulled myself out of this dark space, you know, mm -hmm. so I was really, it was actually helping me. It was my yeah. personal therapy. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, it was something I believed in. And I think why I was so upset by that situation. And the reason why I quit is because I was the ride or die of that podcast when everybody else was flaking on him, didn't really believe in what he was trying to do just not supportive like in the way that he needed i was the one on board and this was prior to us seeing you know deciding we like each other actually that's what brought us kind of close because he saw how dedicated i was how consistent i was and how i really had his back because i believed mm. in what he was doing i saw the bigger picture of what he mm -hmm. was doing mm. and so th that bothered me and i just was like damn and i don't know how to you know so I just was like, I guess it's over, you know? And then something was like, you can start your own damn podcast. Have you ever heard of Anchor? You know, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. <laughs> Anchor.fm. And it's free. And it's free. <laughs> I don't know why that damn commercial popped up in my head. <laughs> So I had that commercial down pat playing in every episode, trying to get every penny out that sponsorship. Shout out to Anchor though, because <laughs> but that commercial popped up in my head and I said, shit, all I need is a phone and a voice. It ain't gonna be all top-notch executed like his was. And so I I was like, I'm going to start my own podcast. So I started researching, watching YouTube, reading articles. And I was already kind of doing that because mm -hmm. working with him. Right. Like I was, I was the one researching the podcast business before. He wasn't researching the podcast business. He was just, he thought he was one of them motherfuckers that just thought he had it all down pat and knew what he was doing. I have way more information and knowledge about the industry at that time than he did because I was the one in the background doing all the research. Mm, Sending him mm, articles. Mm. I was the one that told him he need like he the way he used to label the the uh, episodes I thought was corny. All my episodes is gonna have a catch to it. They gotta have some kind of and the reason why I do that because I came across that article and a video that's saying that your your episode title should be something that catches people. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't just be like Oh, while we discuss this, that, and the third. 
So, mm-hmm. oh, conversations with Kilo while we discuss it. No, that's kind of boring. Like you, it got to be a different type of, you know, title. Like for instance, I did one on, on the criminal justice reform, right? And I named it justice or just us, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I got an episode called Mammies and Jezebels. Nobody see Mammies and Jezebel. What the hell she talking about? Mm-hmm. That's the, what I want to bring. You know, um, I have another one, Reclaim the Block. So I always have some kind of catchy name. My newest one that I need to upload is called um, Kinks and Freaks. And then the one I did with Walt from Boss Locks, shout out. Uh, <laughs> it's called, uh, who you calling nappy head? I think. Yeah. Who you calling nappy head? <laughs> mm. Crystal spit on our crowns. Like, that's that episode episode type. That's dope. Okay. So, you know, I knew that because of the research I did. He didn't know that. He was naming them all some kind of boring ass shit. It was just like not something that would make me want to listen to it. And he still does that because every now and then I'll, I'll go see what he's doing. Oh, also, I built our followers up to over a thousand. Mm. You know? Our main market was St. Louis, of course, because that's where he's from. Like, you know, the, that's what he has on there, St. Louis. So he, a lot of the followers were from St. Louis. But I helped build that page. There's still a lot of my friends on there. And I, I was like, oh, God, he does follow his ass. But <laughs> oh, he, re, he totally closed the whole. Oh, and that was another thing that let me know my power of my voice in the podcast. Because when I quit, he shut down for like three weeks. They shut down the page, shut down all the pictures, cut, took off the, deactivated the, all the episodes that we were on, like all of that was gone for like three weeks. And then he came back with a whole new name. He rebranded whole new name and he had two of the, the other guys that were on the show. He kept them, they stayed and but me and the girl was gone and then he got this one loud mouth ratchet girl like i hate listening to her now, do i sound ratchet look at me talking i probably sound just as ratchet as <laughs> i just i might just be hating i don't know i need to go but something about her you know what i think it is this is what it is it's her energy mm. her energy is like cantankerous so I don't like her because because when they first aired, I was listening to the first few episodes. I don't listen to no hardly nobody podcast anymore because I start losing my uh, creative identity if I invest too much in people's podcasts. Now I will listen, but I don't have like I only listen to like a couple consistently um, podcasts consistently. Now unless somebody be like, oh, listen to this episode, Keila, then I you know I'll check it out or whatever. Yeah, but I follow everybody in the group. But I, I'll yeah, try, I'll yeah, I, like I listen to everybody podcast. Yeah, there's a couple <laughs> podcasts that I've been following for um a couple years that I like really listen to, and I I'm always listening to them. Yeah, that's um, how I feel. One of them, I'm actually on a little hiatus right now. Wait, I'm ready for him to come back with some um some fire episodes. Uh, Let's talk, bro. Um, a podcast on black masculinity. When I say that's probably a podcast you need to go listen to because they he gets deep and real. Like I I love that podcast. Oh my god, that podcast. What's the name of it? Let's talk, bro. Let's talk, bro. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so let's um. But that's how I got into it. I just started by I'll be see you gonna have to edit some of this because I know I can talk. But uh, <laughs> I ain't saying. Look, I'm I'm splitting. I'm gonna I'm gonna split this episode, this audio down the middle. 
I took that and took my don't... CBD. I'm feeling good. <laughs> look, look, I'm gonna let you know. Just have, I'm gonna split this episode right down the middle. It probably oh, two okay. thirty-five, forty-five minute seconds, and it is what it. That's that's <laughs> and that's what I love about my podcast specifically. Like I actually have several other ideas for other podcasts that I can uh-huh. have a different type of structure, a different type of flow, um, mm. a different message. You know, specific topics and things like that, but. I don't think I've ever really shared this with anybody before, but um, I'm uh, I'm learning about podcasting while doing this one. I'm really learning to perfect my craft and things like that because I'm certain that I will do other podcasts. Diary of a Mad Black Black Man is not going to be the only podcast that I'm going to be the host of, or Mm -hmm. like I have a couple ideas for you know multiple um or podcasts with multiple hosts on them and things like that. Um, you know, just many ideas, you know, you know, as creatives, we always trying to create some, some right. other things, so, right. so go ahead and, um, but we are going to go ahead and wrap this one up because I'm going to definitely have to go back and listen to this before I put it out. <laughs> <laughs> I remember myself getting a little heat. I'm like, oh Lord, what did I say? But, um, <laughs> that's what I said. You're going to have to, but oh, like, let's just finish my thought. How, that's how I got into it because I was already doing that and that little voices start your own. And I still had a whole bunch of shit to say. And honestly, remember going back and I said I was a communications major and I wanted mm-hmm. my own talk show that talked about the issues. Mm-hmm. That really just came full circle without me. Like it, the opportunity came, yeah, it was 20 years later, but it came, it you know. Itself, yeah. well, it's been about 17 years since I graduated from college. But yeah, it's you know, is I'm here and I'm doing it, and I'm I'm doing it on my terms. I can be as candid as I want. It's not I don't see if I had to have my talk show that was gonna be under some sort of um network you know, like radio station or whatever, because yeah. podcasting is fairly new. But at that time, it was about underground radio or internet radio. I would have been censored. I would have been sanctioned to not being able to say, because in radio, it's seven words you can't say, you know, nigger, fuck, things like that. You can't mm-hmm. say certain words <laughs> in, mm-hmm. on, in radio. And that's yeah. what I was taught. But on a podcast, you can say whatever that if you won't, you know. You, mean, you so, can say whatever the fuck you want to say. <laughs> That's right. what I love about it too. I'll be listen, let me tell you something real quick. <laughs> I, I, I try to keep it, you know, PGB on my podcast, but you know what I'm saying? And that I, I think another thing about it too is a lot of my episodes, especially episodes like one through 20, mm-hmm. like you want to talk about depressed. Like really? I would. Oh my! Now you gonna have me going back, really? Um, my first episode I ever did. Oh my god! You want to talk about? I was I was maybe a hundred and thirty some pounds at the time. You know, still trying to recover ooh. from you know almost dying and everything um, that you went through. Everything I had been going through up to that point, and this is um, this is a year. You know, this October was, you know, almost a full year since I had quit my teaching job. Mm-hmm. And so I hadn't fully, definitely mentally processed and dealt with it. You know what I'm saying? I finally had had truly gone back into therapy somewhat. Uh-huh. Um, but I was also in the process and it was through podcasting. 
through listening to other people's podcasts. Mm-hmm. I learned that in therapy, if you're not willing to be vulnerable and completely honest in that process, you're not doing yourself a ju- you're not you're doing yourself a um you're not doing yourself a favor. You're doing yourself an injustice, you know what I'm saying? And for many years, you know, throughout therapy and counseling and even going to doctors and stuff like that, there were certain things that I was never telling my doctor, never telling my therapist, you know, simply because of the stigma that I myself carried. Right. So it wasn't until I would say probably within the last like year or so that I really, I had a great, I I mean, shout shout out to my therapist, but uh, (laughs) I really began to just open up and just be like, look. And that's good. You needed that. I'm dealing with, this is what's going on. This is how I feel, you know, even down to like, you know, having suicidal thoughts. Like that was something that like, I would be sitting in this lady's office. I remember a specific therapist that I used to have a long time ago. Well, not that long ago, but. She'd be like, you know, are you having any thoughts of, of killing yourself or hurting yourself? I'll be like, no. And wow. in the back of my mind, I'll be like, child, when I leave here, I might go wrap this car around a tree type shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so it wasn't until I started to face the reality of that and just not care. And again, shout out to my therapist because finally, truly feeling like I was in a safe space when I finally Mm -hmm. began to reveal, you know, that I did have, you know, thoughts of suicide. And she Mm -hmm. was like, that's okay. I'm not going to, you know, just because you told me that doesn't mean I'm going to go and make a call and get you locked into an institution. You know what I'm saying? Cause that was my fear because there was been times where I have been institutionalized and I wasn't even, you know, so it's a lot, but. Well, that's, I mean, you got to get your healing the best way you can. And, 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 and I say this because, you know, in this business, I know, and I'm not nearly doing as much as you're doing. I know in this, this space of podcasting, it can become overwhelming, especially if you're a perfectionist and then, or if you see the big picture and you, but you want it right now, instead of, you know, taking that, that steady, steady wins the race, you know, steady pace wins the race. Mm-hmm. in the hair. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, you have to pace yourself because you can get even overwhelmed in that. Mm-hmm. You know, and and um and since you know that that's your this is like your therapy because it is therapeutic. Very extremely therapeutic. Yeah, and and, I, and since you know that it's something that you can be passionate about and put your all into and you know, do all the things that you need to do to make your business a success. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's awesome. Just keep in mind, you know, take your, you know. Have my balance. Yeah, have that balance, man. Can you see you my know, I know I'm, I'm talking to myself as well. Because <laughs> um, I either be super involved or I shut down. If I get too overwhelmed, I'll just shut down and then I won't be doing man. anything. That's why I got two episodes to upload that I've been BSing on, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah. you know, I done turned out to be a producer. I done, and matter of fact, my episodes sound way better than him. Be- better, way better production than what he's doing. So it's just kind of like I got blessed in this space. Mm. 
and yeah. God has been putting the right people around. But that's what I asked because I, I was really literally started off on my own with nothing but the anchor app and a phone. Mm. Literally did find out I had all these tools and resources that I still don't use the way I need to. And I, I BPC working on that. So we got to shout out the club real quick. Come get okay. your consultation. Listen, <laughs> come on, come get you some podcast therapy. Okay. I'm a podcast therapist. Yes. Like podcast club. We offer um, audio engineering, graphic design, social media, marketing, monetization strategy development we just recruited a new member who's going to be offering video editing software oh. and um video production um uh, we're going to be traveling we're going to go on tour maybe by the, i mean i'm not sure when it's gonna come out but i might be on actually nine times out of ten when this episode come out i'm not gonna be in atlanta <laughs> <laughs> you know that i'm not gonna right. be in atlanta so it's, 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 yeah. it's a blessing. And, and I think that that's um, a part of podcasting that people, um, that some people haven't fully realized, which is that, I mean, in the words of Joe Budden, this is a brand new ecosystem. <laughs> right. Ain't no rule. There, there's some rules, but they, but who has to follow them? Right. Make up your own damn rules. Make up your own rules. Make your own lane. And I like, you know, I really like this space that I'm in. So um, it's a beautiful yeah. thing. So so let the people know where they can listen to unapologetically. Um, let Pandora. me spell it for you. <laughs> so it's unapologetically Pandora. And that's spelled A. No, look at me. I'm thinking of the okay. Hey, hold on. Oh, Jesus. Is it the oil? Is it the oil? Because it's, <laughs> it's got 50% THC in it. Child, uh, that ain't no. Um... It's 250 THC, 250 CBD. Oh, that ain't no CBD oil then. That's a. Um... What is that? Well, anyway, <laughs> it's spelled U N A. P O L E G I T I C A L L Y Pandora, like Pandora's box. So you're gonna spell the legit L E G I T, not so you're not spelling it the regular way. And I'm on all major platforms: pod, pod, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple, iHeart. I'm pretty much on all of them. YouTube, yeah, you on way more than me. You on twenty one platforms? Yeah, I'm on twenty one platforms. Yeah, you I'm got me beat. Of, so if y'all want to listen to her, she out there somewhere. Yeah, find out. Check the description box. I put a um, I put the link and all the information in the description box for those of you listening. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So but, wherever you listen to podcasts, that's where I am. Just follow me, and I talk about. Anything that's impact, I'm, my whole platform is about connecting the fuck shit to the real shit. It's raw and unfiltered content. My my platform is about educating, information, advocacy, activism, and empowerment for us, by us. So a lot of the issues that I will discuss even if it's some bullshit, that's where we got the connecting the fuck shit to the real shit. It could be some bullshit in pop culture, but I'm going to connect it to some social issue and how it impacts us as a community. That's always going to be my focus. And so every episode will have a guest host 
Um, if you do want to be on my podcast, just shoot me a message or email at Keela, K-E-L-A, at theblackpodcastclub.com. I am taking guest hosts. I'm taking topic ideas, all of that. Let's grow. Let's build. Help your sister build. Let's do it. Let's do it. Where you can find me. And we're going to always just, you know, keep it real and about anything that's going to impact our community. You'll have a call to action. That's what we do here at a pot logistically Pandora. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, So, ladies and gentlemen, um, this is definitely going to be at the end of a part two. Um, We'll figure out how how I'm going to chop it up and kind of mix it up a little bit. but yeah, I, I thank you all for listening. Thank you, Keela, once again thank for joining you for me. Having me. I really have fun. It's probably my favorite uh guest host uh thing I've done since I've been on my own. So I'm really yeah. Okay, don't we must say don't hide me up now because we can we're gonna do this again. You know, we're gonna have to do we're gonna be you know, we're doing our YouTube shows for the club right. and all that stuff. So y'all, y'all gonna be hearing a lot more. If y'all like this energy, it's it's gonna be more of it coming in. Even when we add some more people to the club from the club on it too. Yeah. If there's any topic you want to talk about, I probably know about it. You want to talk about some metaphysical, you want to talk about creativity, you want to talk about social justice community service you want to talk about pop culture and bullshit <laughs> you want to talk about mm-hmm. your vaginas and your penises we could talk about that too. listen i sure started to i, I sure want to do an episode with you about why and uh um, oh, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and, and the tory lane situation and oh oh no yeah we got to talk about all that because yeah. there, there's so much to it um act in every okay. one of those situations, that's a bunch of fuck shit in pop culture. But guess okay. what? I can bring the real shit on them subjects. On what okay, we, what we really talking about? Okay, because you because you be connecting the fuck shit to the real shit. To the so. real shit. So yeah, so ladies and gentlemen, um, appreciate y'all for listening, for tuning in to another great episode of Diary of a Mad Black Man. And until the next episode, as I always say, peace, love, and blessings to you and yours. Y'all take care to the next diary entry. Deuces. Peace. Why is not um we were chatty? We were chatty. I gotta I gotta split up that one episode on kinks too. Cause it's like two hours of content. Hold on, why it ain't it's Uh-oh. trying, it ain't it's still recording. Uh oh, you probably gotta leave the studio. No, if I leave, I gotta hit end broadcast. So it's not stopping. Oh, that's probably why it's not stopping because we're still broadcasting. So you want me to leave? Nah, bro. Cause he was doing this. I've never seen it do this before. Uh oh. Think it didn't record. It says record. It's definitely recording. Um. There we go.